Savior Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to stand with us as we worship the songs as we worship his majesty. <coughs> Unto Jesus we all glory and praise.
be seated, please. Again, this morning, as we come to the beginning of our service, we have the opportunity to come here to this altar and to spend some time in prayer, laying down whatever the concerns or burdens of our hearts may be and recognizing that the Lord hears that and that he will respond, recognizing that we can leave that, those heavy burdens here. We don't have to take them back up again. We can trust him with them. And so whatever the need in your heart and life may be today, maybe you're praying for someone in your family that's lost. Maybe you're praying for that difficult diagnosis uh, this week or something else, uh, we want you to know this altar is open today. And so with every head bowed and with all eyes closed, whatever the need may be, the altar is open this time. Come and spend some time together in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. 
And Lord, we recognize that as we come together today, there are many families with heavy hearts. Lord, with burdens upon them that feel like they could crush. But Lord, we recognize that no matter what it is in life that we're facing today, no matter how heavy and insurmountable it may seem, Lord, you're bigger and you're more powerful and you're stronger. And so, Lord, we lay it down at the foot of the cross. Lord, maybe it's the sorrow of the homegoing and the separation time uh, from loved ones. And Lord, we know there are some families this morning that are hurting deeply. We pray for them. Perhaps it's a diagnosis that's difficult to take today. Lord, we give it over to you. Perhaps it's not knowing if that relationship can ever be made whole again. But God, we know that you're the God of reconciliation and we trust you with it. But most importantly, Lord, this morning again, we know that you're the God of salvation. And Lord, we've got burdens on our heart for the lost around us, for those that we're trying to share with, and it just seems like there's a wall every time we try to share. But we pray the Holy Spirit himself would go and do the work that only he can do. Lord, we, we pray for hearts that are prepared to hear and to receive that message of salvation. And we, Lord, we pray for salvation today. Even in this place, Lord, that we would be able to celebrate someone moving from death to spiritual life. Lord, we know that these are things that only you can do. These are issues that only you can handle. And so, Lord, we trust you with them today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we proclaim, all hail the power, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Crown him King of kings and Lord of lords. All hail the power of Jesus' name. See? 
Right. Good morning. As Ricky's getting set up, um, we're going to do a song this morning. It's about uh, how many of us, how many of us have ran from God at some point in our lives? We all have done that, right? Uh, what do we find out when we stop running? We kind of find out that he's, a, he's there. He's the place we ran to, right? So um, this song is about how God constantly pursues us. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, where you've been. Um, he's always there. He's always holding on to us. And there's a lot of folks out there that we're inviting to church. I know it's tough to get back in church right now for some people maybe. But not just with what's going on health-wise, but some people just feel like that they need to get things right before they go to church. And that's not the case. Um, God's here for them. We're here for them. Um, so I hope this song uh, inspires you to invite somebody. And uh, I'll invite you to sing with me at the end. It's called, the song's called No Matter What. Don't know what you've been taught, don't know what 
what you've been told. All I know is my God will never get go of you. No, don't know what you have seen. Don't know what you've been through. All I know is my God will never let go of you. He'll never let go. can change it. You're not separated. And no matter where you run, he's always holding on. Because you're still a daughter and you're still a son. No matter what. Sing that with me again. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've done, you can can change it. You're not separated. And no matter where you run, he's always holding on. You're still a daughter. You're still a son. No matter what. You're still a daughter. You're still a son. No matter what. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Ricky, for that special music. And what an awesome promise and reminder that is to us of God's great love and his care for us. If you will, this morning, turn with me again to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 this morning. It's been a difficult week for many. It's been a hard week for many. A lot of questions of why and, and uh, how do I get through this. And, and a lot of fear even in our community this week. And I'm so, so glad though that we have the promise of God's word. And the promise of something new yet to come. That this isn't all there is. That this isn't the final product. That there's going to be something much better. And that is the new. As you're turning there to Revelation 21, let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we do thank you again for the opportunity to join together in worship of song, of lift up our hearts and voices, of prayer. And Lord, now to be able to study your word together, Lord, we are so thankful. Lord, that we know that you have a promise of a new home for us, a promise of a forever home that will not be tainted by all of the difficulties of sin and sickness and death that have been brought on because, because of our rebellion. Uh, Lord, it will all be made new, and Lord, that we can rest in that assurance. Lord, for those families that are hurting this morning, Lord, what an amazing promise, and Lord, we are so thankful for it today. Lord, again, I pray that you might hide me behind the cross that only you'd be seen. And only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at Revelation chapter 21, I have to be honest with you. That up until this past year and the difficulties that uh, my family and I have, have gone through, um, 
I don't think I've ever really understood until this year, completely understood the amazing truths that are found here in this passage of Scripture, the amazing promises that are given to us here in Revelation chapter 21. There's something about experiencing the pain of death of a loved one that that brings these verses into such sharp focus. And last, last week our focus was on the great white throne judgment of lost sinners. And we read about how everything and everyone who refuses to come to Jesus for salvation will one day face him as judge. And he will order them to be cast into the lake of fire where there will be suffering for eternity. Um, but I praise the Lord that the book of Revelation does not end there. That that is not the final word. But after that terrible time of judgment, our attention is drawn towards heaven. And we're allowed to just get a glimpse of the world that is waiting on us when time is finished and eternity begins. You know, when we begin to speak about eternal matters, we have entered into a realm where we begin as humans to have some problems understanding because our mortal minds cannot begin to comprehend an existence that is eternal, but more than just being eternal, having an existence that is perfect. We are so tied to time and, and we're so used to the problems and to the pain and to the disappointments of this life that we cannot really even imagine what heaven will be like when there's no more worry about sickness, when there's no more concern about death, when we don't have to worry about things being canceled because of COVID, when all this kind of mess is just going to be taken care of and will never be a part of our memory again. All we can do right now, though, is to just read our Bible and, and believe the words revealed to us there and, and to rejoice in what is waiting for us, even though we cannot possibly begin to grasp it in the here and the now. And so in our text, the veil between time and eternity this morning has been pulled back just a little bit, and we are allowed to look into the future, to a future place called heaven, a place that we're going to be able to spend eternity. This is a word in our text that, that is used four times that I want you to, to, to pay attention to this morning. And that is the word new. And that's an important word that we need to, to pay attention to this morning because it's used time and time again. This word means recently made fresh, to, to be unused, to be unworn. And this passage uses the phrase, when God makes all things new. And that, that's the thought that I want us to take with us this morning in all that we're experiencing and all the pain all the fear all the disappointments that that so many families are going through right now that our community is going through right now I want you to focus on the promise this morning of the new and as we think about that please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word Revelation 21 let's look at these first eight verses together this morning and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the heavens saying, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You may be seated. So as we begin to look at the new, we come to verse 1 and we see that there will be a new creation. There will be a new creation. We see a wrecked creation here is destroyed. This verse speaks of the day when this world and the atmosphere around it will be done away with. Uh, we, we know this world has been stained by the blood of sin. And the day is coming, though, when the Lord will do away with this world. We're all aware that this world is filled with many explosive substances like nitrogen and hydrogen and sodium. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So there in 2 Peter 3.10, it refers to the word elements, which equals the basic building blocks of all matter, the, the building blocks of the universe. And we know that the smallest of those building blocks is the atom. Now, everything in the universe is made up of atoms. And the word atom actually comes from the, the Greek language. It's a compound of the atmos, which means to cut, and a, which means not. And so in that, in that terminology, the atom is something that cannot be cut, meaning that it's the smallest piece of matter that there is. Now, of course, we all know today that atoms can be cut, and when they are cut, tremendous energy is released. Explosive energy is released. In fact, think of the devastation at Hiroshima and Nagasaki when over 200,000 people died because man learned how to cut just a few atoms. And so imagine what will happen to this world when God chooses to split many atoms. And so the atmosphere around this world has been claimed as the habitation of Satan and his demons. That's what Paul tells us there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. But God is going to root out, we've already seen this, God is going to root out the devil and his army. He's going to be done away with, and he will cleanse this earth and the atmosphere around it. But also we see a wonderful creation is displayed. The old heaven and the old earth, earth we are told, will re be replaced with a completely new addition, okay? So the old heaven and the old earth are going to be done away with, and a new addition that God has remade will, be, will become our reality. 
It will be remade as it was in the beginning before sin invaded the world and tainted and ruined this perfect creation of God. And in that new world, there will be no more curse. Won't that be wonderful? No more curse of sin will be a part of this world. It will be a perfect world created to be enjoyed by a perfected people. And so the new world that the, world, that, that the Lord will make will be so glorious that the old world will never even be remembered. And so we won't remember all of the hardship and all the aches and the pains and, and the disappointments of this life because this new creation is going to be our reality and it's going to be all-consuming to us. Think for a moment about the beauty of this world that God has created in the here and the now, though. Uh, we, we've been placed in a, wonderful, in a wonderful part of the world, in a wonderful part of our country here in West Kentucky. And consider the beautiful lakes uh, that the Lord has given us right here in the summertime and, and the, the beauty of, of the lakes and, and all the surrounding woods around them and, and the beauty of the land between the lakes. Consider the fall of the year when those trees are painted in the colors of, of yellow and orange and red and rust. Consider even the brilliance uh, of the sun glimmering off of the snow and of the ice many times here uh, during the wintertime. Uh, it may, may not be good for our power lines, but it is beautiful uh, to look at. Or even the breathtaking color of the flowers and the trees as they bud out in the spring. This creation, the here and the now, is beautiful. In fact, the, even just thinking about and remembering the first time that I had the opportunity uh, to go to the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, if you can think back to the first time that you were able to... Act, you've seen maybe pictures of the Grand Canyon on television or in movies... Uh, or whatever it may be, but the first time that you as, a, as an individual have the opportunity to step up and see for yourself the Grand Canyon, it is awe-inspiring. It's breathtaking, the wonder of that God created such, such an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, but yet, in all of its beauty, in all of the grandeur of that, it pales in comparison to what the Lord is going to do in that future day. And I praise the Lord that I get to be there. Not because I'm, I'm good, not because, not because I, I'm something special, but because I have a relationship with Jesus. That I'm going to get to experience all of that because of Christ. John closes this verse by telling us that there will be no more sea. Now for those of us who have experienced the homegoing of loved ones, that's something special to us. Those words, that there will be no more sea. Because for those of us who have gone through that, uh, that, that separation time between us and our loved ones who have gone on home to glory. Our pain is not so much rooted in worry because we know where our loved ones are. Um, if they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we don't have to worry about that at all, of, of where they are and if they're okay. They're doing a whole lot better than we are, amen? The pain comes from separation, doesn't it? The heartache comes from, you know what, for a, for a time and, and for us and in, in, in the here and the now, it feels like an extended period of time. We're not going to be able to be right there with them in a physical sense. And so that pain of separation hurts. John understood that. John penned these words uh, as he's a prisoner uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. It was separated from his congregation in Ephesus by the vast expanse of the Mediterranean Sea. And so John is telling us that there will be no more separation in this new world, in this new heaven, in this new earth. There will be no more times of separation ever again. That's not something we'll ever have to worry about again. The sea as we know them 
will cease to exist. The world will be delivered from the grip of the oceans that have covered three quarters of our planet and caused separation between all of us from time to time. Instead of being a world where people are separated by natural boundaries, it's going to be a world in which men will be brought together as one. But then also I want you to see in verse 2 that there will be a new city. A new city. So not only here does John see a new creation, but he also sees a brand new city. He, he sees a place that he calls New Jerusalem. And I believe it is the city where the redeemed of God are going to spend their eternity. This verse gives us a little information about that glorious place. First, we see that it is a perfect city. It is a perfect city. We know that ever since man began to populate the earth, he has been in the business of building cities. Instead of us uh, going about scattering and, and filling the entire earth, we know that the very first thing that, that man tried to do uh, was, was to, to, to build a city and to build a tower. Uh, we don't want to go out. We don't want to be on our own. We want, we want to build cities. And every city built by man, regardless of how small or how large it may have been, has one thing in common. They are all sinners of sin and depravity. Every last one of them, no matter how, how much like Mayberry we may think that our little city is, there is sin and depravity in every city. And of course, the larger the city, the larger the population, the more people there are, the more sin there is, and the more wickedness that they can devise. And so God, though, is doing something different here. God, we're told, is building for us a holy city. Every city is a reflection of its inhabitants. And so we talk about cities, and we talk about particular cities being, you know, just kind of a center of sin and depravity in our own country. And I'm not going to name names, but you're naming them in your head right now. Uh, we, we know those cities that we think of as centers of sin and depravity, of those cities that we're like, I wouldn't want to go there in the dark of night because you'd get killed. We know those things. Those cities are a reflection, though, of the sin that has filled them because the sinners who live there. But this new city is going to reflect the character of its creator. God is holy. God is separated completely from sin and sinners. And he is building a city that will be free from the taint of the presence of sin. Sounds like the kind of place that I might want to spend eternity. How about you? A perfect city. But also, it is a prepared city. He says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I have a question for you. When a bride prepares herself for her wedding day, uh, the day when she is going to give herself unconditionally to her husband, does she just go in there and, and smear on some, some, uh, some grease on her face and, and throw on some, some food-stained pajamas and say, here I am, take me if you want me? Uh, I mean, no, of course not. Of course not. She pulls out all the stops. Her makeup is going to be perfect. Her hair is going to be perfect. Her dazzling white dress is going to be amazing. She is the absolute image of female beauty. Well, the Lord Jesus is preparing this city for his bride, the church. And so he isn't building just a few little cabins in the corner of glory land, okay? No matter how many times you may have sang that old hymn, it ain't the truth. There are no little cabins in the corner of glory land. That's not how God does it. He isn't preparing a place that is common and run-of-the-mill. He's not going to say, you know what, you, did, you just barely made it in by the skin of your teeth, so you can go over there into the corner, and there, there's an outhouse and a cabin for you, enjoy eternity. 
That's not how this is going to work. Jesus is preparing a city that is the personification of perfection and beauty. He is preparing a place that is worthy of God, okay? So this place is going to be amazing. And we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, Lord willing. But right now, you and I live in the tent of the flesh. But one day we will unfold, uh, we're going to fold these tents up and we're going to move in to the Father's mansion. How does that sound? That, that's going to be an amazing thing. In, in, in the first century, there in, in Palestine, that's what would happen when you got married. You'd move, the bride and the groom would move in to the groom's father's house. There would be an addition placed on the house. There would be room made for this new family that was starting. And can you imagine what that's going to be like when we get to move into the Father's house? That has been the hope of every believer since the time of Abraham. Do you see that that's what took place there in Genesis? Lot moved to Sodom. Lot moved to a very imperfect city. He moved to a sinful, wicked city. But what did Abraham do? Abraham continued to live in the tent. Why? Because Abraham would not have been happy with the city here. Because faith has already revealed a holy, heavenly city that he would occupy some wonderful day. He didn't want what this world had to offer. He wanted what the Heavenly Father had to offer. And I know just how he feels. I'm looking forward to the day of that new city. But also in verses 3 through 4 we see there will be a new communion. It will be a time of personal communion. This incredible verse lets us know that when we arrive in heaven, our days of separation from God will be over. Now, I realize that God dwells within us, that we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. I I, I understand that. I understand that in the most real sense possible that we can never, ever be, be separated from God, ever, for all of eternity, that he dwells within us. We are never alone. However, I also know that we do have a sense of of fellowship separation from God from time to time because of the sin of the flesh. Because because we still are dealing dealing with the flesh. There still is sin in our lives that we have to deal with uh, here on this earth. But there's coming a day when the barrier of sin, when the barrier of the flesh and distance will be removed, and we will literally get to experience what it is to live with God face to face, with no separation, with with perfect uh, accessibility to the Father at all times. No separation, no distance. And so this world is a place of evil. And everywhere you look, it seems like all you can see is the work of the devil. But in heaven, all we will see is the presence of the Lord. Praise God that we will see the one who loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for our sins upon the cross of Calvary. And we will see him in because he will be there, that will be heaven enough. You know, and I know, I know the longing to see loved ones. I know the longing to see, to see perhaps your spouse, to, to see your parent, to, to see maybe even some of your kids. But what will make heaven heaven is not simply that our earthly loved ones are there. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that Jesus Christ is there. And that's what makes it the place that we so desire to be. Look at verse 4. It will be a time of pleasant communion. When we leave this world and step into the heavenly realm, we will see the Lord God. And we know that he will minister to us in a 
personal and profound way that will change the way we live our lives for all of eternity. In fact, while heaven will give us more than we can imagine, if you, if you really look closely, I believe it will also take away some things that we will be oh so glad to be done away with forever. Things that we will never ever have to worry about again. First of all, there will be no more sadness. Can you imagine? No more sadness. He says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That word wipe means to obliterate, to erase, to wipe out, to blot out. In other words, God will once and for all erase tears from existence. In this life, tears are a part of our walk here on this earth. Tears are just a part of living in this world. In fact, we're told that this is the valley of weeping. We all carry tears within us, and sometimes life becomes such that those tears burst forth. In church, I know what that's like. It hurts. We're, there was once a man, and he was getting his shoes shined, and the little shoe shine boy wasn't doing a very good job. He was stumbling and, and fumbling, and, and just the job was, was anything but perfect. And the man was in a hurry, and and not in the best mood, very irritated that day, pretty ill, and he became hateful with the boy. And he said, what's wrong with you, boy? Can't you do anything more than shine shoes? And with that, the little boy began to weep, and the tears just began to fall down his face and drip onto the ground. And the man saw him and he said, oh, boy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. To that, the little boy said, oh, mister, you, you didn't make me cry. My mama died this morning, and I'm shining these shoes to just get enough money to put a few flowers on her grave. No, sir, you didn't put the tears in my eyes. You just brought them out. Can't life be like that sometimes? Life can just make them come. There are times when life can cause the tears to flow, but I would remind you that God sees those tears, and he cares about every single one of them. God cares, and one day he's going to wipe them away from our eyes forever. No more tears over sickness, no more tears over sin, no more tears over separation, no more tears over sorrow or suffering. Tears will be banned from heaven forever. But also, oh praise the Lord, he says there will be no more separation, no more death. Can I get an amen? No more death. This is a world that is filled with death. It's all around us and it stalks us. And almost all of us in here this morning have dealt with death in a profound way. Someone incredibly close to you has died. And you know the pain that that, that, that causes. Nearly every person has lost someone that they love to this monster called death. And maybe you haven't lost anyone close to you yet, but guess what? You have a date with death yourself unless the Lord returns for his church before that comes. But in heaven, there will be no more death. According to 1 Corinthians 15, 26, death will be destroyed one day. We, we saw that destruction take place in chapter 20, in verse 14. Because Jesus conquered death, those who believe in him are going to a land where there will be no more dying, no more uh, funeral homes, no more wreaths on the door, no more sad families gathered around a, a lonely grave. 
there will be no death in heaven forever. But also, he says there will be no more sorrow. No more sorrow. This word means mourning. It refers to the broken heart. I, I know that I've experienced sorrow. And I know the hurt of sorrow. And I know many of you have experienced and maybe are in the midst of sorrow right now in your life. It's an experience of the broken heart. If you've walked through that deep valley, you know the affliction. You know the heartache. But there will be no more of that. Because the day is coming when there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more broken hearts over sin and all the troubles that it brings. Praise the Lord that we are headed to a land that will never be blighted by the problems of this world again. But also, no more sighing. In other words, no more crying. The word crying means an outcry. Never again will the anguish of the heart spill out of the eyes. There will be no argument, no hurt feelings, no wayward children, no, no more problems, no more heartache. There will be nothing in heaven that will spoil the serenity and the peace of our hearts. It will be a perfect existence. But also there will be no more suffering. The word pain refers to the great trouble, labor of, to the point of exhaustion. And so no calamities, no valleys, no trials, no burdens, no fatigue, no sickness, no disease, no broken lives, no shattered minds. That will be done away with. There will be nothing to cause us to become weary and worn in that great land. There will be no loads to carry ever again. All that will be banned from the shores of glory land. To never be thought of again. But also, there will be no more source. What do I mean by that? Notice what he says. For the former things are passed away. The former things, the things of this life, the things of the here and the now have passed away. All the causes of pain, all the causes of our sorrow and of our suffering and of our crying will have been done away with. And all the evils that we face are the results of the work of sin in and around us. But sin will be banished forever in that wonderful land. Satan will not be there. The flesh will not be there. Sin will not be there. And while heaven will be a glorious place for all that will be there, I believe that one of the crowning glories will be all of these things being absent from that place forever. But look with me in verses 5 through 8 and we see that there will be a new condition. We're told that there is a heavenly decoration there in verses 5 through the first part of verse 6. God issues a promise. He says, you can count on this. I'm going to make everything new again. And remember, we serve a promise-keeping God. And when he makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. This old world is going to vanish away. And on the other side of that, we have the Lord's promise that he will make a new world that is far better than anything that we could ever even dream of in the here and the now. But also in verse second part of verse 6 through verse 7, a heavenly dispensation. God has some precious gifts to give to those who dwell in that new world with him. First, he dispenses life. The inhabitants of that city need never to fear death. They are partakers of everlasting life. They are given this life free of charge when they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They, they were given a drink of living water, and they will never, ever thirst again. This is just a reminder to the saints that our heavenly existence is a, an eternal existence. This is also a call to all those who do not know the Lord to come to him. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, 
as your Lord and Savior, then you are currently not headed to heaven. You are headed to hell. There is no way to get into heaven without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how nice you are, how good you are, how many times you've come to church, how many religious things you might have done. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not sure in that relationship, then you're not headed to heaven. You're headed to hell. But you can be saved today. You can be saved if you will come to the Lord by faith. He will save your soul. It is so simple. And it's an eternal promise that he has given. It's foolproof that if you will repent of your sin, turning away from your sin, turning to the Lord, if you will place your faith in what he has already done, his finished work upon the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the dead three days later, you shall be saved. If you will come to him, he will save you. But also in verse 7 we see he dispenses legacies. What do we mean by that? He said, shall inherit all things. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you become a child of God. And as a child of God, you become a legal heir of all the things that belong to the Lord God. You become an a, a, a heir to that inheritance that is to come. In heaven, you will receive your inheritance. And you will ha also have intimate fellowship with God, the God who redeemed you. In heaven... We will not be servants. We will be sons and daughters. We will enjoy tremendous intimacy with God the Father. I can't imagine all that that will involve in that day, but I can say one thing. I'm looking forward to it. I have great anticipation of what is to come and what will be ours when we get there. But also we see in verse 8 a heavenly determination. This particular passage ends on a bit of a tragic note because after reminding us about heaven and who will be there and what we can enjoy there and what will not be there we're also reminded that not everyone will be there in heaven some will not enter that city but they will be forced to spend their eternity in the lake of fire and if you examine verse 8 it lists those who will be banned from heaven forever first of all the fearful those who allowed fear to keep them from coming to Jesus. The unbelieving, those who refused to believe and to receive the gospel. The abominable, those who gave themselves up to vile, wicked lifestyles. The murderers, those who willingly and unrepentantly took the lives of others. The whoremongers, those who gave themselves over to live lives of sexual perversion. He says sorcerers, of course, that speaks of those who practice magic arts. But the word sorcerer here actually comes from the word that we get our English word, pharmacy. And so it refers to those who create and use chemical concoctions uh, to intoxicate themselves, to inebriate themselves. It speaks to those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol and are consuming their lifestyle with, with those things possessing them. But also idolaters, those who give themselves to the worship of false gods and false systems of belief. And then he finishes up by saying all liars those who live a lifestyle of, of, of lying, who do not know the truth, but live in a lie. And so if you saw yourself in that list, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you see yourself in that list, I'm sure. Because all of us were in that list at one time or another. All of us were dealing with, with multiple sins in that list before we came to Christ. And so if you see yourself currently in that position, I invite you this morning to come to Jesus he will forgive you of your sins and prepare you a home in heaven. And if you refuse to come to him, if you reject his free offer of grace, there is nothing more for you. 
but the flames of hell forever. Because he has made a way for you to go to heaven. You choose heaven or you choose hell. You choose. But he has given you the option. Jesus has paid the price. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day when the Lord makes all things new. I know that I'm saved. I know I am. And I know that my sins have been forgiven because Jesus Christ saved me when I repented of my sins and when I gave my life to him. And that's why I have not just a hope, but I have an assurance that I'm going to be able to be in this place. Not because I'm good, not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm a Baptist, not because I go to Brinesburg Baptist Church, but because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that blessed assurance this morning? Can you say that with assurance this morning? That I will be there because I have a relationship with Jesus. Not because my grandparents went to church or my parents went to church or my best friend goes to church and so I go to church. But do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if, if you don't have that assurance today, I invite you to come. If you do know that, if you know you have a relationship with Christ, I invite you maybe to come to this altar and just praise him. Get on your hands and knees and just thank the Lord for the work that he's done in your heart and your life. Maybe you recognize this morning that this is where you need to call your church home, that you need to join this family of believers today and begin to, to do all that God has called you to do in this place, to, to hook up with, with the Lord here and to begin to, to, to pull with this church in the direction that God's leading us. How's the Lord spoken to your heart today? Is it salvation? Is it prayer? Is it membership? How do you need to respond to the Lord today? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for the new. We thank you for the new heaven. We thank you for the new earth. We thank you for this amazing promise that you've given us that this day is coming. When all the troubles and the trials of this life, when all the, that sin has brought upon us of sickness and, and death, Lord, are done away with, that there's going to be something new and glorious. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's even one here today that doesn't yet know you as Savior and Lord, that today might be the day that they would come and say yes to you. They would, they would come into that relationship that changes everything. And we'll give you all the honor and the glory and the praise today. Move as